Vegas, live and underway here on ESPN Plus. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I am Sebastian Salazar on what is a Monday of misery for many of our viewers as both the United States and Mexico drop points on Sunday. We got a lot coming up in this edition of Football Americas, which is always available via podcast as well. We got a new class for the Soccer Hall of Fame. We're going to interview as well from the NWSL's Angel City FC, their sporting director. And Yaluko, and finally, Herc, it is transfer deadline day in many places across the world, so we will keep folks up to date on all the moves as they happen to pertain to players from our region. But let's start by welcoming in someone who made history, Hercules, this past weekend, none other than Kyle Aaron, a starting forward for the Canadian men's national team, who with his seventh-minute goal against the United States became the Canadian men's national team's all-time leading scorer. So he gets a goal, he gets a victory. Kyle, welcome to the show. You must be buzzing right now, my man. Thank you for having me. It's an exciting time. Absolutely. So uh, let's dive in on this game against the United States, right? Uh, Everybody looking at this ahead of time is saying Canada does not have Alfonso Davies. In fact, my co-host here on this show, Hercules Gomez, said without Alfonso Davies, Canada loses its fear factor. Mm. Apparently not, Kyle. How were you guys able to get this win? No, we are we're a team. We're in, and with Alfonso, without Alfonso, we will we'll keep fighting and, and we will show how close we are as a group and, and we will fight for each other and, and and I think none of the players on the team on the team fear anybody. Fear Mexico, USA and, and it shows in the game and, and we outperform and without these guys I'm not able to score, so I, I thank them. Kyle, talk to me about the atmosphere in, uh, in, in Hamilton. A lot was said about the cold weather, the turf. It certainly didn't look as cold as Edmonton, but talk to me about the atmosphere. Yeah, it was, it was, cold, it was cold, but not, nothing like Edmonton. Um, Edmonton was different. Uh, but that, playing in last night and, and just the crowd, the, the atmosphere last night, uh, it was amazing. And, I don't think any of the guys felt that cold. And playing in Edmonton, it's it's uh, there's nothing compared to to what we played to last night. Last night was it was beautiful for us to play in that weather. Uh, for me, it was a crowd, man. I know there was only like half capacity, only twelve thousand fans or so. You'd have thought there was forty thousand people in that. You could really hear it coming through across the television. The other thing is there's there's this stereotype out there of polite Canadians. Every time Christian Pulisic got the ball, I could hear the boos. So they, they weren't being very uh, polite to the American players. I want to talk about uh, your goalie, Kyle. Uh, Milan Borjan, man, had a huge game, including that, that first half save on Weston McKinney. Man, this guy, he, he's wearing sweatpants, but he makes all the big plays. But I'm very interested in something he said after the match because he said that the Americans were scared to play, you guys, scared to play the Canadians. Uh, what do you make of that, and do you agree? Yeah, I agree. And I mean, for me, I feel like every time we keep playing them, uh, they, they, I, don't, I don't know, it's a feeling I have it, and it's feeling the guys have. Uh, we go out there and, and go to win and go to win the game and fight fight against these guys because we have that belief in us. And, and, and you, you can see it when we're playing out there, even if we were the Americans the last 15 minutes and they had big chances too. And, and you see we st- stuck together and won and, and we don't feel them. And you see the guys always... Uh, kicking a lot of the, the guys down and, and we fight, we fight till the end, so it's amazing. Kyle, you're a, you're a man who knows your rivalries, Besiktas, a huge rivalry in Turkey. You, you, we know what it's like to be part of a huge rivalry. I get the sense, speaking to Canadian players, that sometimes you feel disrespected by the American side, uh, not only the players, but the pundits or fans in general. Uh, talk to me about this rivalry, the U.S. men's national team between the Canadian national team, those two. Talk to me about this rivalry. I mean, the guys are always excited to play against the USA, and and then that's the closest continent or uh, closest uh, country to us, the borderline. I mean, and and I don't know. It's 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 we're Canadian, you guys. They're American, so so it's, it'll always be a fight. And and you see, each game uh, we're battling, we're arguing, we get in scuffles, and and, and it means a lot. I mean, I know it means a lot to um, Canadian people. And every time we go out there, and we play the Americans, and and. And this time we won, and I think it will be like that for, for for a long time coming. You see the talent we have, and the talent that will come eventually when when everyone else is, is gone. Kyle, we follow the Mexican press quite a bit, and, and one of the things they always talk about is El Gigante de Concacaf. Like, who is the giant of Concacaf? Right now, you guys are the only unbeaten team 
in this round of qualifying. You're sitting atop the table. Do you feel like the best team in CONCACAF? Yeah, so right now we do, but we will never settle. We'll never settle. Uh, each game we'll go out there like it's our last, and we've been doing that, and and the reason why uh, we, have, we haven't lost. And, and each game we'll do the same thing, the little things that got us to this point. Let me ask you, Kyle, about the nines in CONCACAF. A lot's been said about the best nine in CONCACAF. Is it Raul Jimenez? Is it Jonathan David? Is it Mikel Antonio? You just scored two goals against the U.S., two goals against Mexico. You're in that conversation as well. For you, who is the best nine in CONCACAF? Mm. I mean, I'm, I love scoring goals. Um, <laughs> but uh, if Jonathan scores and I score it, it I'm happy with it. And as long as, as, long as we win, so... I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm the best. I have a good teammate with me. And then if I score, he scores, uh, I'm happy. So, But just making sure the best nine is Canadian. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about your club situation. Um, you're obviously having a, a great moment right now, kind of putting back-to-back -back seasons together with Besiktas. You're having a great moment with the national team. As well, you're only 26 years old. Do you ever maybe think about what could be next and what the next type of football you might want to try? What other leagues kind of catch your fancy? No, I mean, I always wanted to play in England. I, um, but I think right now I'm focused on the rest of the se season in Besiktas. And um, we, have, we have to keep winning and try to climb the table. And, and I've always done that. And again, I keep doing that. I'll, I'll keep scoring and I'll keep helping my team win. Kyle, there were reports not too long ago of you denying a ridiculous amount of money to go to Qatar, I believe, was a country. Uh, I think, believe the amount was five to six million dollars salary that, that you denied to stay in your current club right now. Uh, why is it important for you in a World Cup year to stay? The, the, level, um, the level I'm playing at, you know, and, and um, you don't get that everywhere. And I think it's important for me. I'm a young age to, to, to stay and keep, keep working and try to compete with the best and play against the best. So, and I'll keep doing that and, and I'll carry on uh, into, into, to, to the qualifying and hopefully to the World Cup. All right, there he is, Kyle Laren, forward for the Canadian men's national team, Besiktas, as well as the Turkish League. Kyle, thanks so much for the time and good luck against El Salvador. Thank you. So Kyle Aaron in Canada and atop the CONCACAF qualifying table. There we are after their uh, quite comfortable victory over the United States, who are in second after that 2-0 defeat. Mexico third after their scoreless draw against Costa Rica at the Azteca. And Panama, huge three points after a big comeback win over Jamaica. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. But, Herc, it is time now to turn our attention to the other side of Sunday's dramatic affair between Canada and the United States, and that is the U.S. men's national team. So, Herc, uh, where to begin this edition of the blame game? What's kind of the, the main cause of the defeat Sunday in Hamilton? Just Sunday, Greg Berhalter. It starts hmm. and finishes with Greg Berhalter. You can go into the game plan that he went right into it, fed into it. John Herdman has ate his lunch for the second time in a row when facing Greg Berhalter. You can talk about the informed formation, the way he tried to outpass Canada. You can talk about the substitutions, how late they were. You can talk about the lack of urgency from this team that falls directly on the shoulders of this head coach. You can f talk about anything you want, the elements that they wanted to make into play, the width of the hmm. field, whatever you want, it's Greg Berhalter starts and finishes with him. I, I feel like a lot of what we talk about with Greg Berhalter are decisions, right? So I look at this lineup, okay, nobody wanted Zardes in there. Probably Pepe over Zardes is what you would say. But other than that, I think it's pretty much the back four 
and the midfield three that most people will want. So I don't think you can complain too much there. The subs, I'm with you. What does he wait till about the 70, 70th minute before we see the first subs? When you're down a goal from the seventh minute on, um, that could be an issue. But it's not just when the subs come, right, Herc? It's who. Let's look at the list of the subs. Cannon, Acosta, Arriola, Morris, and Pepe. Let's put Pepe to the side for a second because he's a number nine. You expect him to be goal dangerous. When I say those other four names, do you think those four are the guys that are going to make a difference? Because they weren't in this game. And it brings up a bigger point, which is Burhalter's reliance on MLS guys. When we saw this roster, Herc, we said 13 out of 28. And in my back of my head, I thought, okay, 13 MLS players, but in a 28-man squad. There's a lot of these guys that we're not even going to see in these three games. The five guys he brought off the bench, four of them are MLS players. And the one that isn't is Ricardo Pepe, who's basically an MLS player. So this, this insistence on Major League Soccer players to make the difference, and then we see her, they don't make the difference. And I don't know if that's down to their quality or down to the fact that they haven't played a real game, many of them since October. Seb, you know who also hasn't played a real game, many of them since October? A lot of the Major League Soccer players are playing for Canada, so that's no longer an excuse. They got beat by a better team, and this is what kills me about Greg Berhalter's team. They're soft. They're not mm. a team. This is a lot of players that fans get excited about because of where they play at the club level. Fans get excited about the potential of another export, of where they can be, how young they are. That's what you get excited about with this national team. That's it. What, what else? The three wins against Mexico, two of them you got played off the pitch, one on set pieces, all three on home soil. Dos Acero, I will give you, but that's what you're hanging your head on, the form of these players. And that's on Greg Berhalter, who he left off, who he put on, the games he's playing mentally with some of these players. All this other talk about Major League Soccer players, I agree with you to an extent, mm -hmm. but versus Canada, are we going to mm -hmm. bring up Major League Soccer? How many Major League Soccer players do the Canadians have? You're, you're, not, you're not criticizing results, right? You're criticizing performance. So to me then, we're not really talking about choices so much as as tactics. And maybe that's, that's my other question here with Greg Berhalter and the tactics. Sometimes I feel like what we saw with him of Columbus, which is what we know the best of Berhalter, yep. was a system guy. He had a very clear system in Columbus. Is it that this system is not working with these players? Is, is he relying too much on his system and that's where the tactics are failing? Or is it another tactical failure? Is it, is it a setup? Is the 4-3-3 is the, the wrong way to go about it? It's a lot of different things. System, tactics, uh, you fed right into what John Herdman did. Everybody knew that John Herdman was going to set Canada up in a low block like he did in Nashville. That so they were what's he supposed to, to do instead? In transition. Because, because what's, the, what's the counter to that then? The counter to that? You play betters who are better suited for that. If you know because in his eyes that you have to be more combative, aggressive, physical, okay, bring more combative, aggressive, physical if that's what you want to go. But, but you're setting these players up in a way where you're hoping they pass to death. A, a mm. thousand passes, a million passes, a million cuts. That's what you're going to do. A paper cuts, kill them that way to death. Instead of saying, hey, we're best suited to be a transition team. Let's draw them out as well. They are the home team. At some point, they have to be drawn out because they're not going to just accept the draw. And then they will come out. And then you can play with that transition. Put the right players on the field. If Ricardo Pepe saved your job in the opening windows, mm. if Ricardo Pepe is the reason you're here, and he's got three goals, three assists, and six World Cup qualifying games, and he's not playing in the Bundesliga. If you know he's having a tough time, help him out. What you don't do is you're not going to play the first game. You're not going to start the second game. It's going to be a guy who was nowhere near the picture in this pool who doesn't even play the nine position, who's only played 20 minutes in front of you. It's Giassi Zardes then in front of you. What you don't do is you don't mess with them mentally. What you do is you get these guys back on track because a lot of these players aren't doing well in their clubs. Their form isn't great, so help them. Put, in, mm. put them in, in positions to succeed. And also these MLS players that, yes, yeah, some of them are to blame, he's also not doing any of them any favors. So... I don't hear you very convinced of Greg Berhalter's performance over the 90 minutes. Maybe you're more convinced by what he had to say after the match. Uh, let's listen in. This game, I can't single anyone out. I think it was an entire team effort that was outstanding. We asked them to be dominant. We asked them to embrace the conditions, embrace the physicality of the opponent. And I think we did that and more. Um, it, it's hard for me to remember a performance away from home this dominant um, without getting a result. So yeah, the result hurts. The performance doesn't hurt. I'm proud of the guys, proud of the way they competed.
Time, Herc, for a quick rendition of Get Lost. Should Burhalter get lost for those comments, or is there an element to truth, of truth, to what the manager says? I don't know what he was watching. Dominant? I don't even, I don't even think the t statistics besides possession, which is a very deceiving stat, because Canada wants you to have the ball, so they will concede possession. Especially they when they you. score seven minutes in. Especially when they <laughs> score seven minutes. Now they're just toying with you. They're playing the way they want to play. They're dictating the game. So you're going to have the ball. You will win that possession battle. Okay, that's not domination. Mm. The physical presence, the aerial presence. Literally, this team shot themselves in the foot. They're getting abused off their own goal kicks. They want to be a possession team, a, pay that, a team that plays through the lines, a team that can play quickly. I didn't see urgency of playing quickly. I saw a team, a team, losing the ball from the goal kick and then having it shoved right back down their throat. I don't know what Greg Berhalter was watching when he said he was dominant in this, where he's pleased by the performance, not the results. I don't think you can be pleased with either. I wonder if you saw on Twitter some of the uh, Burhalter out crowd was, was out uh, in force after this one. I wonder if that's the right conversation we could be having, though, because if you look back after the win over Mexico, Herc, I felt like the pendulum of U.S. fans was swinging towards a place where people thought Greg Burhalter might be the guy to take this team to the next level, to get the best out of this team. After last night's performance, I feel like, and you know, this is just you know going off what we see on social media, the pendulum has swung back to, I don't know if he's the guy. Where are you on that? Sepp, he's not going to be fired. He's sitting second place in World Cup qualifying. This is U.S. soccer we're talking about. He's not going to be fired. But we have to seriously acknowledge how much he's holding this team back. Mm. How much he's hampering this team's progression. You look at a guy like Greg Berhalter, who's about stats, who's about PowerPoint, who doesn't feel it. This team is soft, and that's on Greg Berhalter. They may be more talented on paper than the past generation. Why isn't generations. that on the players? Why isn't it on the players? It's that also they, well, you on say the they're players. soft. Come it's on. also on the players, but who picks the players? Who picks the tactics? Who tries are to there, set them up to succeed? Are there, sorry, are there not soft players that Berhalter is yes. leaving out? And would you name them? Go yeah. ahead. Who are they? Soft players? Not soft you think players Jordan that you Deep want Rock him to call soft? out. You think, you think Josh Sargent playing out of his comfort zone as a winger in the Premier League is soft? You think John Brooks fighting every single day is soft? You think John Brooks having to read everything he reads about himself, then still going out there and perform, is soft? These are guys who were left out, Seb. Okay? Mm. These are guys who are left out. Greg Berhalter has a soft team, and that's on him. They may be more talented than the generations of past, maybe more, but there's no fight there's no urgency. There certainly is no spirit. If you're going to hang your hat on those three Mexico wins, if that's all you have to say about your tenure, if that's really who you are, then why go to Qatar? Because from what we've seen today, it's not going to get any better in Qatar. Mm. Okay, so Burhalter gets a lot of your blame, but certainly, Herc, he can't take all the blame for what happened against Canada. Let's go back to that opening goal from Kyle Lahren. Uh, particularly, how much at fault is Matt Turner in this? Because I saw a lot of online discussion putting this down almost entirely to Turner. Do you agree? Well, this goal, the first one, he's at fault. It's into the wind. I get it. It's a bad kick. But then the lack of urgency doesn't step up. No cohesion with the two center backs. Miles Robinson gets bodied. And then Matt Turner has a chance to vindicate himself here. Watch this. This is brilliant by Canada, by the way. Jonathan Osorio outside the foot. Kyle Laren to one, Jonathan two, David. Three, one, two, three, four. I see now four American guys Got before bodied. it gets to Turner. And you're watch, blaming the goalie? Watch this. This is a save Turner has to make. Mm. 100%. Turner really? was at fault in the goal kick. Yes. If he's a shot stopper, the best shot stopper, then shot stop an easy shot you have to make. He put his hand up right after the play and acknowledged did. that one's on me. It started at the goal kick, but nobody bailed him out. That's where you're right. Not a single player belled him out. Slow to react. Brilliant from Canada, but slow to react. And then he had a chance at the end to save himself, and he didn't. If you're Greg Berhalter, is, this, is that the moment that you write down and say, Zach Steffen wouldn't have made that play? We always hear about Zach Steffen's feet. Is that the case, that Zach Steffen doesn't make that mistake? That's the difference between the two? You would say on paper, well, we've seen Zach Steffen make those blunders under Greg mm. Berhalter and the U.S. men's national team. I'd like to chalk this up in, into the wind. Uh, Matt Turner made a mistake, and then he made another one, but it's a comedy of errors that leads to that. It's very easy for us to say, well, mistake, he's out. But you have to be careful with players, especially young players. He's doing a Ricardo Pepe right now. 
Don't do it with Matt Turner and Zach Steffen. Don't play with their minds. Matt Turner at one end of the field. Other end of the field, Christian Pulisic. Her coup for a second straight game had a very, very quiet performance. What's up with the American number 10? I wish I knew. His form is not great. It's not for a lack of trying. He looks frustrated. He doesn't look happy on the field. He's trying too much. His set pieces are atrocious. Uh, this is a player that's got all the talent in the world. But we sit here and we ask, well, why is Tuchel playing him as a right back, as a right wing back? He should be playing here, he should be playing there. The truth is, he's not really proven it lately that he deserves to play as one of those double tens. He's not really proven lately that he could be the guy. Few and far between the performances, Liverpool goal, Mexico moments. They are moments, mm. they are not performances. It's not consistent. You have to wonder right now where his head's at, where his body's at. This is a player that you expect a lot out of because he is the face of US, U.S. soccer, but you have to say he's not playing up to par. Mm. His body, that's what I'm thinking, man. Did you see how the Canadians mistreated yeah. him here? Cesar Ramos, the, the Mexican referee in charge. Boy, I thought he did Pulisic no favors. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not making excuses for the kid, but at some point, Herc, CONCACAF needs to do a better job protecting its stars because it was very clear that Canada was going to cr kick Christian Pulisic until they got a card. And Cesar Ramos, God bless him, he, want, he, he wanted the old let him play. But I, I think, you know, that really damages a player like Pulisic and what those skilled players can do. And I don't know that that's ultimately what's best for CONCACAF. You don't, you don't want center backs kicking through your number 10s all day. We just saw Damian Lowe go through Guardado. We've seen Chucky Lozano be kicked to no end. We've seen Alfonso Davies, mm. Davies receive some of the, best, or the same treatment. Excuse me. Uh, but this comes to no surprise. If you saw the U.S. men's national team versus Canada in Nashville, they did the same thing to Christian Pulisic. They kicked him until he was forced to go into different positions to try to find the game and frustrated even more. Then kicked him some more. And guess what? Then they beat you in transition. It was no surprise to anybody. This is what I don't understand. Your best player, your star player is getting kicked, and the only one I see getting up is Tyler Adams. Hmm. I hmm. see Weston McKinney trying to get into the scuffle, but usually helping somebody up. I don't see <laughs> anybody else besides Tyler Adams. They are too soft. They are too nice. They're young kids. That veteran presence may be missing. Mm. Those guys who have been here and done that, they may not have the same talent level. That is fine. But this team right now, mentally, physically, they get abused in CONCACAF. We saw it versus Jamaica. They seem to have these problems with these physical teams. I got your thoughts on Matt Turner. I got your thoughts on Christian Pulisic. I want your thoughts on Giassi's artist. But first, let's hear the thoughts of the national team manager. That was an easy one, Grant. We knew what the game was going to look like. We knew it's a, a very narrow field, small field. We knew it was going to be a very physical game. And we thought that Giassi would give us that physicality. And, and from looking at his performance, I think he did that. Again, I don't think we got him enough service in the box to, to get him dangerous. He's good on crosses. But um, he certainly gave them a hard time both on and off the ball. The words of the manager, the statistics from the game. One shot, zero chances uh, in 90 minutes played for Giassi Zardes. Uh, how much responsibility does the starting number nine, Herc, bear for yesterday's defeat? This is what it is with Greg Berhalter. We're going to keep blaming the nine. He doesn't score. He wasn't effective. We're going to keep blaming guys like Giassi Zardes because he plays in Major League Soccer, and then the fans are going to hate him for that. He wasn't good, okay? It's, it's a reality. A majority of players weren't great, if I'm being honest. But if he was there to combat the opposition physically, I don't know what he can do against Vittoria, against Miller, against Johnston, Adekuba. What do you want him to do by himself? It looked like what I thought it would look like. If you want physicality, call in a Daryl Deacon before he gets injured. You know, find yourself a bigger target striker, a Josie Alder. If you want physicality, if you want Giassi Zardes, well, then try to get him service. Try to get him in behind the line. Not against a team who's going to sit. That's when Giassi Sardis can be effective for you. Play to their strengths. He wasn't good, but he wasn't set up to be good. What's Berhalter supposed to say here, right? Because clearly the question is, you know, why did you start Giassi Sardis? Why did Giassi Sardis not produce? He's got to stick by his guy, Herc. Will that get him some points in the locker room? Of course, yes. Because he can't throw him under the bus, right? That'd be worse. Never, you can never throw him under the bus. That's not what you want to do if you're the coach. You don't want to get the players talking against you. You want the players to still believe in what you're selling. And I've been in that position where Giassi Zardes is in, 
or your mm. question of why you're there. And all you can do is try to repay that faith, that confidence to the national team coach, to whatever coach it is that's giving you that confidence. But at some point, if you're Giassi Sardes, you got to be thinking to yourself, like, what do I got to do to show my strengths on here? You talk mm. about the field not being wide enough. And so that's what Giassi Zardes is there. Have you seen him play? He's better in open space. He's better when he can get in behind defenders. He's better when he can get into the end of crosses. He's a very productive player. It's only Christian Pulisic and Giassi Zardes as the most productive players to get to the 50th games. That's what it is. He's proven his productivity. You could say whatever you want about the level of the teams he's played against with the U.S. men's national team, but he's productive. But set him up to be productive. Mm. Mm. So uh, maybe the number nines that were called in, their stock plummeting. The guys who weren't called in, their stock is soaring right now just based on what everybody else isn't doing. Guys like Josh Sargent and Jordan Pifak. Herc, let's do a rendition of stardom, sit because when there's a bad game, that means big changes to a starting 11. So why don't you walk us through the 11 you want to see in St. Paul, Minnesota, Wednesday night in a freezing cold against Honduras. Matt Turner, you're not going to move him. If Greg Verhalter does, excuse me, uh, I will be very surprised. Anthony Robinson, I think he's proven his worth. He's very, very standard. You know what you're going to get. Walker Zimmerman was very good the first game. Uh, Sands one bad giveaway. I thought he was very decent. Uh, no Chris Richards, so that's going to leave Miles mm -hmm. Robinson, who I thought struggled, but maybe one game under his belt he could vindicate himself for, for that game. I thought Serginho Des actually was surprisingly decent against Canada. I thought it was one of his better games, especially defensively. Really? De I, defensively, dude, yes. Against Tejan Buchanan. Yes. Yeah, Tejan wasn't there. Tejan was central. Tejan was more central. I thought he was, yes, better. Serginho Des was better. My doubt is Musa. It looked like he came out with a knock. If Musa's not ready, Luca De La Torre, I'd love to see him in. Eredivisie, you know, team of the month. Uh, Kellen Acosta's the only natural six with Adams not being able to play. Adams with that hamstring injury, you're gonna have to go with Kellen Acosta because you need a player with bite. Weston McKinney, your dual eight. Uh, you've got to keep him there because he offers a lot on both sides of the ball and set pieces. Uh, Brendan Aronson on one side, Timothy Weah back in the mix, and Ricardo Pepe gets his what? chance. And you know, yes, you know exactly what this means. This means- You benched Christian Pulisic. Christian Pulisic is benched, he is out. Wow. Listen, there comes a time in every player's career when what you need is to take a step back, to take a breath, to sit down, to look at a game from a different perspective, a different angle, anger, mm. excuse me, angle. And maybe, yes, get angry. Get angry that Greg Berhalter benched you. Angry enough that you want to prove yourself to everybody. Every time I hear Christian Pulisic talk, and I know that's maybe his personality, it's, well, you know, I don't really care about these things. You know, he's very soft-spoken. I want to see him angry, not frustrated. Angry to prove himself. I'm the best American player. Seb, three years ago, we were here in LA on a show called Nacion, and you said he was already the best American player ever. Mm-hmm. I want to see him prove it every single time he's on the field. I want to see him get angry with his teammates. I want to see him demand the ball. I want to see him be effective. I want to see him not be predictable. Every time he gets the ball, he's cutting in when he's on the left-hand side. I want to see not just big moments against Mexico. I want to see consistency. I want to see him. I want to see him prove himself here on the national team because guys like Landon Donovan, guys like Clint Dempsey, when they wore that jersey, they proved themselves. That's what the greats do. He can be a great, but you have to prove it. Didn't you just warn Greg Berhalter against destroying the confidence of a player like Matt Turner? Destroying the confidence of a player Well, those are two like players Ricardo that go Pepe. in and out. Christian uh, what's what's it going to do to Christian Pulisic, who's clearly not having a great time with his club, if the thing he looks forward to coming back to the national team and he gets benched, what's that going to do to his confidence, sir? If Ricardo Pepe or Matt Turner get chance after chance after chance and aren't proving themselves, you go out. Christian Pulisic should be the same. I actually think this would benefit him. Mm. He's one of the best players on the team, one of the best players in North America, but he's not having a good moment. And maybe this perspective, this refresher will do him good. Just so I'm clear, like we do both understand what's at stake for the United States in this game against Honduras, right? I mean, you're saying the, a what for me is a huge game, potentially a must win, and you want them to play without their, their, the face of the, of the program? What's he done the last the two games? Without the best player? What's he done I mean, the last two games? No, nothing. Is he, is he not the best player anymore? Not the last two games. I want to win this game, don't you? If you're the right. U.S. men's national team, you want to win this game. He had a 1v1. 1v1 when I bring uh, Johnson. 
and, and when he should be sharp, when he should put him on his heels, when he has to take him, it takes him to the left scuffs that you can say to Trevor whatever you want. He wasn't sharp enough. He wasn't his Christian politics self. I honestly think this will be good for him and the national team. Timothy Way has been playing well. Brendan Aronson is an effective player, even though his club form is also uh, equally not as great. But I think a refresher will do him good. It's a huge three points. You got away Mexico, away Costa Rica, and home against Panama in that last window. Wow, that could be a, a, a tough, tough window for the United States. Here's the SPI. Herc, uh, we break out the numbers. We crunch the math, as they say. And look at that, the United States, a heavy favorite to win. Of course, uh, Honduras very, very much uh, struggling at the moment, last place in CONCACAF. As we mentioned top of the show, Herc, it is transfer deadline day, so we got moves coming all over the place. Let's start with this, George Bello of Atlanta United moving to Armenia Bellafield of the German Bundesliga. It's a permanent move for the 20-year-old left back. Bielefeld right now 14th in the German Bundesliga. He'll be with the club on contract till 2026. Could you maybe describe the last 24, 48 hours for us? Uh, very, very uh, crazy, I would say. Um, everything happened really fast and I got told to get on a plane and move from my hometown and just like that. So it happens really fast, and but I wouldn't want it any other way because I'm here now and I'm, I'm very happy. Why did you choose Arminia Bielefeld uh, and the Bundesliga? Uh, because they're a top team and then this is a top league. So and I felt like this is where I can develop myself as a person and as a player as well. And I know I'm still young, so this is a place where I know I can come in and trust my teammates, trust the coaching staff and everyone at the club that I can be a better player. Elsewhere, Herc, Austin Trusty moving from the Colorado Rapids to Arsenal. Probably worth noting here, Stan Kroenke owns both. This is strange. This is downright shady. Are the Rapids only creating more gam money, more funny money with this move? <laughs> Are you trying to tell me that's what's going on here? I don't even know if it's legal under the eyes of FIFA. I know you sign away, you waive your FIFA rights, but this is a little strange to me. Trusty set to join Arsenal then in the summer from the Colorado Rapids. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Bueno, el partido en líneas generales fue de México fue malo. A veces nos toca jugar mejor y a veces peor. Eh, hoy fue una mala noche, está claro, pero una mala noche de todos. equipo da, tiene una expresión futbolística como la nuestra esta noche o esta tarde, evidentemente este, hay un, una reprobación de, de la gente y en este caso una reprobación hacia el entrenador, pero nada más que respetar y, y tratar el compromiso de tratar de mejorar. México lose 0-0. At home against Costa Rica. Those are the words of Tata Martino after the match at Azteca, where there were only Herc, only 2,000 fans. They were pre-selected, they were registered, and still we heard <laughs> Fuera Tata at the Azteca. I I'm sure there are, are many mistakes he made in this match against Costa Rica. What was the, the biggest mistake for you? His decision-making. You want to start with the lineup? You want to start with who wasn't there? Alexis Vega your best player versus Jamaica, doesn't start. Diego Lyon is a player who did very well coming off the bench, doesn't even feature. And then where do you want to go? You want to talk about him rolling the dice again with Funes Mori? Yet again, the striker was not effective. He was not even present. I mean, he was one of the worst players on the field again. He almost seemed like he was getting in the way. And I'm talking about that goal that was called back on the offsides where Tecatito could have potentially been the one mm -hmm. to finish that off. And then how about the in-game adjustments. If Edson Alvarez gets injured, you're holding midfielder. Don't put Luis Romo in Orbelín Pineda with Héctor Herrera as a six. 
It was Romo and Pineda as aides, and Romo found himself wide at times. Herrera, the lone man, holding it down there. When you know, you know that Costa Rica is sitting back with one guy up front and Joel Campbell, who absolutely abused you in transition. If Oof. you know this, if you know that Achiach is good at certain things, being a deep-lying playmaker, but physically cannot cope with the demands anymore, then don't leave him there by himself. Just the decision-making in general was wow. Mm. Yeah, there's a couple other guys you didn't mention in terms of decision-making. Uh, his sticking with the same outside backs, Gallardo, and, and Chaka Rodriguez. Yeah. I mean, it just over and over and over again. And I don't know how many more opportunities these guys need to get before we realize Herc, they may be decent enough for, for a CONCACAF level, for a Gold Cup group phase. Not, but for where Mexico wants to go, they are not the outside backs of the future. I don't even think they're the outside backs of the present. And yet we keep seeing them time and time it's again. But shout. for me, the issues, the issues of Tata Martino, as much as we, we can focus in on the selection, it's all, for me, the emotional stuff. It's the baggage that is clearly left over from this guy offering his resignation to the team. It's the baggage that's clearly left over from him banning the top goal scorer in Mexican national team history in Chicharito and the fact we still have to talk about that because there's not another number nine that's scoring. There is a beyond <clears throat> soccer funk. There's like an existential funk, a stench right now around this Mexican national team. And I think a lot of the reasons why, at the end of the day, Herc, trickle down or fall back to this manager. And as much as we focus on the field, I got to think, man, he has, he has very much, if, if he hasn't already, he's very, very close to losing this locker room off the field. Let's do a quick episode of three questions. Three questions to satisfy our angst over the Mexican national team, or more appropriately, my angst. Rogelio Funes Mori, Herc, he starts again. He gets 62 minutes and zero goals. Was that his last chance, do you think, to claim Mexico's number nine job. For this guy, it is. For this analyst, yes, he's had many an opportunity to prove his worth, to prove how good he can be, to prove he's the man he is in Monterrey, now mm -hmm. at the national team level, at the CONCACAF level, with very good players around him, and he's not. But for Tata Martino, he's an insurance policy and he's going to the World Cup. There's no mm -hmm. change in that. Tata Martino pretty much guaranteed him a place on the national team in the World Cup, there wouldn't have been a discussion where that wasn't disclosed and, hey, you could be mm. this guy at the World Cup to convince him to come to the Mexican national team. He's an insurance policy, but he's certainly not played well. He's certainly not even played decent. He's almost been the worst player these last two outings. And that's saying a lot because last night there were a few very bad performances. But versus Jamaica, non-existent. Uh, the ball that he plays back where Damian Lowe gets red carded to Guardado was a hospital ball. So he's almost hurting mm. his own players, in essence, being on the field. He's not scoring goals, which is what he does very well. And he's not a participant on either side of the ball in the construction or the defensive pressure of eliminating the the opposition. So, yes, I, I would say for this analyst, yes. But Chino Tata Martino, mm -hmm. that would be a no. Can you put your finger on why? The why I'm looking for specifically is why is he such a good player for Rayados and why doesn't it work with the Mexican national team? And is some of that down to the fact that it's the Mexican national team, that whoever that number nine is right now would be struggling? A little of that, maybe. But Henry Martinez played limited minutes and he scored mm -hmm. goals. I mean, so can we really put it on that? I know it's different circumstances because you're getting, you're throwing him into the game where you're throwing cautions to win and you're trying to get that goal. I understand there would be more opportunities. Uh, but a lot of that, I think, is mentally, psychologically, he seems like a different player for the Mexican national team. That could be all the pressure that's on him because he's not Mexican. You know what the Mexican media is like. He's not scoring goals. Raul Jimenez isn't healthy. Mm -hmm. And yes... Tata Martino, Chicharito, and all that baggage, that could be affecting him as well. After Henry Martin got the goal against uh, Jamaica, I thought, okay, maybe we'll see him in the second game. We didn't. I guess maybe we'll see him in the third game. Let's move to our second of three questions on today's episode of Football America's number two. Oh, wow, we got the knives out for this one. Who played worse, Hector Herrera or Chucky Lozano? Herc? Let me just say, people are on Hector Herrera this window for ah, comments here he made. Comes. Hold here on. comes. No, let, tell me if you agree with me. For comments mm -hmm. he made about the Azteca not being a place where they felt they could be dominant. They didn't feel they had the, the support. They didn't feel the opposition felt the pressure of playing the Azteca anymore. And fans, pundits got insecure. So insecure, they are looking for an Hector Mer uh, Herrera moment. 
Hector Herrera, who at so he played club well. Level, so he played well. Hold on, hold on. Hector Herrera, who at a club level, is not playing well against Jamaica. Played well, but then got to put in a situation where I think it's circumstantial why he mm. didn't look good. But then I look at a player like Chucky Lozano. Because Hector Herrera is going to be run ragged. He doesn't have those 90-minute legs anymore, especially not two games in a row. But Chucky Lozano should be fresh. Chucky Lozano is a guy that's in relatively okay type of level, okay type of moment and form, comes into this game and had nine shots, zero of them on target. All Mm. of these shots, eight or nine of them, honestly, from way outside the box. Desperation-type shots. No longer playing on the sideline. No longer touching the sideline coming in. All of a sudden playing centrally. Playing in a very desperate fashion. Not a desperate fashion that's good, like he's desperate Mm. for goals, but a desperate fashion like he doesn't know what to do, what's going on. He doesn't know how to be effective. And it showed. I think Chucky Lozano was the worst out of two. Chucky was not great, Herc. Chucky was not great, and I I won't make that case. But here's my my problem with Hector Herrera. Maybe it's the expectations, one. You know, we, we expect him to play at a very high level. He's the most experienced guy in that midfield when you take out Guardado. Right now, in, in theory, based on where he plays and how he plays, he should be the leader. And yet, the flaws that bother me about his game are the same problems I have with the team as a whole. He is so predictable and so slow on the ball. And I know you appreciate it because you played with him and you'll tell me all about the skill and the technique. But tell me when you're watching Ache play yesterday. I mean, it looks like a casual guy in a 5v2. You know, he's taking a fourth touch when he could do it in two touches. He's taking three touches when he could do it in one. That's not what Mexico needs in the midfield. And so for me, when I think of what Mexico needs and who's the guy to deliver it, tempo. They need tempo. They need to be playing faster. And Ache Ache, to me, is when the ball gets to him, it's a handbrake on the team. But that's the same argument we have of Guardado. Think about this. So, so you have no, him but Guardado and, doesn't get on the ball as much. But, Ache no, 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 is on the ball all but, the but time, it's, it's, and it's backwards slow, It's how slow they are, Seb. And when you put Romo on there, Romo's mm. the same thing. Romo's the same. It's not effective. Charlie's has had good moments, but that's about it. Mm. Who else can you put in there? Cordova's not going to get called in there. You know, he doesn't seem to be liking of Tata Martino. It's Ache Ache, but you need to protect him. You can't put him as a six. He can't be the lone guy with that responsibility because then he's going to look tired, slow, predictable, like you say. So I know we're focused here on Herrera and Chucky, but really none of the European players played well. Edson might be down to injury, but he was as imprecise as I've ever seen, or at least recently yeah. seen Edson Alvarez with the national team. And Tecatito, like always, had his moments, but it doesn't end in anything. So I think we, we, we can focus on the manager, but whether it's these two or all four, um, the big stars, the European stars of this team are not performing. Question number three on three questions. What's weaker, the Mexican national team itself or their supposed home field advantage at Azteca? Herc, what do you say? Okay, bear with me. El Tri is weaker, but at El Estadio Azteca. Their form (laughs) is weaker at the Azteca, if that makes sense. Because Mm -hmm. I look at their away form. I mean, they've already won three away games and they drew a couple already. They've only lost to Mexico and the U.S., which are the two top teams in the CONCACAF standings. I'm sorry, Canada and the U.S., thank you. Uh, The two top uh, in the standings right now. They're a team that's actually playing better on the road than they're playing at home. And a lot of that has to do with the pressure that comes with playing at home. Not only Mm. for them, but for Tata Martino. They seem not to understand what it's like to play at home anymore, how to make that a home field advantage. And it's not just this cycle, Seb. We can go back to the 2014 cycle. That's when you noticed these cracks at playing in Estadio Azteca. We could say it's because the NFL came and they changed it from 120,000 seats to 90,000 seats mm-hmm. with premium plush. They put in a little garden setting on both sides. The field looks like it's a lot further from the, from the, uh, the fans. But it's also the fans. The fans turn on these people. They, they turn on mm. the players. It's also the air, the pollution, the, the, the altitude. The own players don't do well with it. It's also the field. It's a very fast field. Players like Hector Moreno, Guardado, can't keep up on a field where the ball travels so much faster. But they've not been good at home. Yeah. And you spoke about Fuera Tata. Those 2,000 documented uh, fans right there, that fan ID, if you will, They were friends, family, and corporate tickets. (laughs) And they were yelling, Fuera Tata. So what are we talking about here? It's their form in the Azteca. They play better out of it. Yeah, forget home field advantage. At this point, it's it's a home field disadvantage. Like, 
I think if you're a Mexico fan, you are almost less confident yeah. watching this team at home than you are on the road. On the road, there's less expectations, uh, but we do look at those, some of those results. You know, they've gone to Costa Rica. They've gone to El Salvador. Panama. They've gone to Jamaica. Yeah. Uh, th- there seems to be quality enough there to pull out results against this competition, just not at home. So, so the pressure there is starting to become problem problematic for Mexico. I wonder, Herc, at what point do we pull the plug and go somewhere else? You know there's a huge game coming in March against the United States. Could you imagine that somewhere other than Azteca? If I'm a Mexico fan, I may want it somewhere other than Azteca. Monterrey's looking mighty, mighty appealing. Mm-hmm. You have to, at some point, cut your losses and think about the bigger picture. I know it's the Azteca. I know it's Mexico City. I know it's appealing. I know all these things because that's where Televisa is. That's where mm-hmm. that's where the, the Federation Televisa is. Televisa owns the stadium. They mm-hmm. own the stadium. I understand all that, but at some point, you got to get there. Yep, you got to get there first. Uh, that is always, always the case. All right, now our uh, version of, s- of start or sit. Arranca o a la banca? To start or to sit? And Herc, uh, this is my preferred 11 uh, for the upcoming game for Mexico. And I'm telling you what, I'm making huge changes against Panama. So Memocho at the back, fine. I'm going all young across the back line. Arteaga, Vasquez, Montes, and Julian Araujo, of course, uh, with Chaka Rodriguez and Hector Moreno out, we got to make some changes along that back line already. If Edson's not good to go, maybe I put Luis Romo in there, but I'm hoping Edson's healthy. I want to see Eric Gutierrez. Huh? If he's good enough to, to get in the, minute, in the lineup for PSV week in and week out, and it's desperate times, let's make a change. I wasn't really convinced on Charlie, but I threw him in there. Up top, I'll leave Chucky in. Again, not convinced. I got to see Diego Linus for 90. I, I don't care what happens. Just let me see him play for 90 minutes. And I'm going Alexis Vega up top. This might be a little prisoner of the moment yeah. because we don't have a number nine and everybody's saying they want to see Alexis Vega. So let's start there. Uh, what do you think of my 11 and specifically Vega at that nine spot? Vega at the nine for me is is a bit of a head scratcher because I think you take away everything he's, he's good at. You know, when he's touching the, the sideline, he gets to cut in, he gets to, to go from outside in, make those runs, has the ball at his feet, almost operating like a nine and a half uh, coming centrally. I think he's so dangerous. As a nine, I don't know how effective he'll be. I know we've seen mm. him there for the pre-Olympic team in Guadalajara, and he scored some goals. That's because Jota Macias wasn't there, and he was, he was a good player. But at the senior level, I don't know how effective he'll be. I'm interested in the back line because I agree with you. I would love to see Arteaga Vasquez, who I told you Tata Martino does not rate, and I think he's proven it. Uh, that he doesn't rate him, but Vasquez playing at a high level. Montes, who's probably your best central defender right now uh, that you've called up. And Julian Araujo. I would love to see Julian Araujo get that chance. Something tells me Tata Martino will pull the little rabbit out of the hat, and here comes Cata Dominguez as a right no, back. No, <laughs> I don't know no, why, no. but I want to see Julian Araujo. This is his moment. I mean, you can't have Jorge Sanchez injured. And then Chaka Rodriguez out with yellow cards and say this is his moment Mm -hmm. and not play him. When he played against Chile, I understand it was a friendly. I understand the circumstances, but he was the best player on the field. Mm -hmm. He was the best Mexican player on the field. It was very simple. He offers different characteristics that most players on this team don't have. The athleticism, the hunger, uh, the, the, the ability to beat players off the dribble with speed. Uh, there, there are a few far between from the outside backs he already has, like Gallardo and Chaka. Those are more guys that are going to try to combine, try to play, try to same soon. But it's, it's an interesting 11 that I would be very, very enthused if, if you get to see it, or Mexican fans should see it because of the, uh, the age on it. In the uh, recent generation of dual nationals, you got David Ochoa, Efrain Alvarez. Looks like Julian Araujo will be the first to kind of get his shot. Uh, in a big moment, in a big game. All right, uh, what about the SPI for this match, Herc? What are the what are the computers telling us about Mexico against Panama? Wow, um, the computers are much more confident about Mexico than anybody who watches Mexico is. Seventy percent for Mexico uh, to beat Panama at home. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. News out of the NWSL now. Angel City FC have signed attacker Stephanie Ferrer from Tigres. 
in uh, Liga Mekis Femenil. She has Brazilian parents. She was born in Spain, but uh, how about this? She played her college soccer at West Virginia. So a player that will know the North American soccer ecosystem quite well. She's just the uh, latest player the Angel City FC have added to their team. And this the off-season before their first full campaign in the NWSL. Let's take a look at uh, some of their other big signings. Key pieces of the team, of course, the uh, big names, the U.S. national teamers, Kristen Press, Julie Ertz as well. How about the defender, Sarah Gordon and Allie Riley? Those are uh, two big names. And NWSL fans, uh, they'll love names like Jasmine Spencer, Savannah McCaskill uh, on the roster as well. Perfect timing then to welcome in Angel City FC Sporting Director Eni Aluko to Football Americas. Great to have Eni with us on the show as she is uh, putting together this Angel City FC squad ahead of the NWSL campaign. I got a lot of very important, very serious <laughs> journalistic questions to ask you here before we get uh, started. But my very first question is at the top of the journalism list. My sources tell me you were in Ted Lasso season two. Uh, how did that come about? How did I miss it? Your sources are correct. I, I did. I made a cameo. Um, I don't know how it came about. They just invited me on the show. Um, they were filming actually like 10 minutes down the road from my house. And um, I got invited on the show. And I have to tell you, Hollywood is not as uh, glamorous. <laughs> you know, it's not as uh, you've got to have a lot of patience um, for one line. It took me two days filming. Oh. Um, so I was like, I'm not sure I'm cut out for this. It was a lot of waiting around in my trailer, um, a lot of retakes. So, um, but amazing, amazing show, amazing to be part of. Wow. So sounds like a, quite an opportunity. Speaking of opportunities, you know, I think a lot of people see you and they're like, hey, I remember her from the excellent Women's World Cup coverage. You were becoming like a television star uh, before you take this <laughs> detour. Uh, into soccer management. So uh, why the decision to, to pursue the game and kind of staying in the game in this way? Why with Angel City and, and why the NWSL? Because someone with your background, I would assume there were, there were opportunities in Europe where we know there's now a lot of money being pumped into the women's game. Yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I was working as a sporting director for Aston Villa in Europe last, in, in England last year. And, um, you know, 18 months in the job, I really, really enjoyed you know, building a team, recruiting players, and really being on the executive business side of the game. Um, I knew that when I retired, I knew I didn't want to go into coaching. I knew that it was too close to playing. I knew that I wanted a different life um, from playing. There's a lot of sacrifices that come from playing. You know, you miss a lot of weddings, funerals, a lot of time with family, etc. So um, I decided that I wanted to go down the sporting director route. Um, I have a legal background as well, so um, I'm a trained lawyer, so it lends to understanding contracts and rights and governance and all those things. So um, really, Angel City, the, the opportunity for Angel City was one that I really couldn't turn down. The opportunity to build a team from scratch is one that doesn't really happen a lot. A lot of football teams, certainly in the UK, have been around for hundreds of years so it's very difficult to innovate. It's very difficult to change. It's very difficult to build something that is different. And so when I got the call from Angel City, it was like, actually, this is a real opportunity to stamp something that's different. You know, it's a, it's a female-led ownership group, female-founded. Um, that's different in itself. So I wanted to be part of something unique and powerful. And uh, here we are. I agree with you about the coaching and getting into a different role. It's, it's way too close to being a player. Uh, but now you're a sporting director. Okay, so let's talk about that. What's been the most difficult part about starting a roster from scratch? Because I could only imagine with all the mechanisms and restrictions you have uh, in NWSL how difficult that must be. Yeah, I think, honestly, that the most difficult part, um, and it's it's probably a positive too, has just been the level of competition with other leagues around the world. Um, you know, if you want to if you want to be successful on the field, you want to try and aim to bring in the best possible players. My strategy has always been one that was very international, but also, you know, to try and recruit the, some of the best players in the league. And so, you know, certainly on the international side, competing with Europe, competing with um, a model that is a lot more free in terms of 
you know, the salary caps in terms of investment was difficult. And and I've lost out on a few deals as a result mm. of that. Um, but equally, um, there's so many players that are so um, impressed with what we're trying to build at Angel City um, that they, you know, they decided to, to join us in LA and join something that's unique. So it's worked both ways, but that has been a challenge um, in terms of competing with England, France, Spain, you know, Mexico. Um, these are the leagues that are also investing in their women's teams as well. Any, we mentioned at the top of the segment that you guys did just sign a player from Liga Mekis Femenil. I wonder how you would compare the quality of the two leagues, the, the Mexican League versus NWSL. Well, I think the NWSL arguably is the best league in the world because of the level of competition. It, the parity across the league is apparent. Um, you're not going to get score lines of 5-0, 6-0 every week. You're going to get close score lines. Um, sometimes in other leagues, you, you see those big score lines because the gap is just so big between the top and the bottom. So I think the NWSL, in comparison to the Mexican League, has that edge in terms of its parity and competition. And I think that's by design as well. But one of the things I've been so impressed with, with, with Tigres in, in particular, is them selling out their stadiums, is mm. them really engaging with their fan base on the women's side. And it's something that we've really looked at. Obviously, for us at Angel City, we have that aim. You know, we've sold coming up to 14,000 season tickets already without ball being kicked. We want to be that club where people come around every week to watch this team. And so when I see teams like Tigres doing it, I'm like, it can be done. It's achievable. Mm. Um, so it's amazing to see, you know, we've seen recently as well, Barcelona, Real Madrid, that sold 80,000 tickets um, in Spain. So the women's game is really hitting some amazing numbers. And uh, that's exactly what we want to achieve at Angel City. And you mentioned parity and competition, but as far as talent, especially with all the money being invested right now in the European game, what league has the most talent? I would say um, I would say the, 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 the WSL in the UK um, is attracting, you know, real top talent because the salaries are, you know, getting bigger and bigger. Um, they don't have a salary cap in the UK, so you're able to attract some of the top, top echelon of players. Um, but equally, in the NWSL, we have some amazing talent too. Um, at Angel City, we have some talent. I'm super excited about, you know, there's so many players that we can get really excited about in terms of their talent levels. Um, so, but, but it's great. It's great for us to even be having a conversation where we're comparing leagues, we're comparing talent. Once upon a time, you had one choice, one league to play in as a professional player. Now you have six or seven. Um, it's so healthy for the women's game. And uh, we've got to keep pushing the MWSL. So we are, you know, it's the top league, in, one of the top leagues in the world. And in Major League Soccer, we always say, you know, a team can only go as far as its designated players. Um, and I wonder, you know, how true that holds to the National Women's Soccer League. Your, your two stars know that about it. Kristen Press and Julie Ertz. How much of your year one success is down to those two players? Well, I don't actually agree with that comment. Um, I, I actually think that you're only as good as your sort of the, the depth of your squad. Um, if you plan in terms of the NWSL, we have international breaks. We have the times when our top players like Kristen Press are going to be away. Um, the league continues when there is national team breaks. So actually the players that you build in into your squad um, that are going to be around when those players are away, that is your strength. The depth is your strength. Obviously, you know, Kristen is an incredible player. She was our number one signing. She was incredible for the national team last year. Um, but I think she would agree that it is about, you know, building a squad that can be sustained throughout the season, that can really hit the ground running at a key, key part of the season as well. And a squad that can play multiple positions when we do have international players away. That's the way we've approached it. Full disclosure, Annie, I'm a uh, local L.A. resident. I have a four-year-old daughter, and I will be going to the game, so choose your words yes. wisely. What are the expectations <laughs> this year in the expansion year, and are playoffs a must? I wouldn't, I mean, I, I think that, obviously, reaching the playoffs in the first year as an expansion team will be a huge achievement. Um, I think whether it's NWSL, whether it's N uh, MLS, it doesn't happen. 
it's not usual for expansion teams to make the playoffs. But we are, you know, we want to aim big. Um, what I would say is that we want to come in as an expansion team and be highly competitive. We want to be one of the best expansion teams that we've seen so far in the NWSL. We know what that points tally looks like. And so we have lots of mini goals in order to achieve that big goal of playoffs. But I wouldn't say it's a must. It's an aim and it's something that we're aiming for. But we also have to be realistic and know that it's something that is huge and it's not really been done before, I believe. It was only Atlanta United in the MLS that have done it in their first season. It hasn't been done before yet, but we're looking to, to be that team. But first and foremost, we need to know that we have to be competitive on the field first. And that starts with preseason. That then starts with preseason games, the Challenge Cup, and then we'll see at the end of the season. Annie Luco, the sporting director of Angel City FC and a Hollywood superstar. You can catch her on, I think it's, I think it's episode <laughs> sure five. That. Episode 5, <laughs> Season 2 of Ted Lasso. Annie, thanks so much for the time and good luck this year. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. There she is, uh, former England international and now uh, in charge of Angel City FC. More news from the women's game. Lindsay Horan is leaving the Portland Thorns after six seasons. The 27-year-old U.S. international going on loan to Lyon in France for the next 18 months. Horan played for PSG, of course, Lyon's big rivals, between 2012 and 2016. While she was with the Thorns, she won one league title, one league MVP, uh, and a bunch of other hardware. So a big hole to fill in Portland. In case you missed it, Philippines are qualified for their first ever Women's World Cup, beat Chinese Taipei in penalties. The connection here to our region is that a huge part of the team were born in the U.S. or are products of the U.S. college system, Herc, and they're going to the World Cup. Let's go! We're everyone, my man. Well, it's, it's a movement. That's an amazing moment. Congrats to the Philippines. The uh, Philippines ranked 64th in the latest FIFA rankings, but you gotta think that that result will uh, fire them up the rankings. Very excited to see them in the World Cup in 2023. The She Believes Cup just before the next World Cup. The first of three matches for the U.S. women on February 17th. That one will be just outside Los Angeles, California. It's the United States against the Czech Republic, 11 p.m. Eastern time. Coverage starts on ESPN. All right, Herc. Time for a quick rendition of who had the worst weekend. The United States and Greg Berhalter, who came away with nothing from their visit to Canada, or Tata Martino and El Three, who dropped two points at home against Costa Rica. This sounds crazy, but it's Tata Martino yeah. and they tied. Seb, think about this. Why does it sound crazy? Well, because, Just because they got one point because and the US point, got none? The other ones, right. yeah, they lost. I mean, it, it sounds crazy, but think about this. Greg Berhalter can lose to Honduras and probably still not going to get fired. Nothing's going to happen. Tata Martino could not win against Panama, and that could be it. Hmm. I mean, there could be some serious consequences if he doesn't win the next home game. And he's still got the U.S. to play at home, mm -hmm. and he's still got El Salvador to play at home. And he'll go away to Honduras, which is the worst team right now in, in the region off the standings. Yeah. Greg Berhalter will have... Mexico away, San Jose away, where they've never won. Hmm. And that still won't come into play. It's got to be Tata Martin. You had 2,000 fans, documented fans, corporate sponsored friends and family, and they're screaming, Fuera Tata. I, I don't know how that can be yeah. a worse yeah. possible type of weekend for them. Yeah, I'll agree, but I'll, I'll just stick to the performance. Like, the U.S. were not great, but they were playing the best team in CONCACAF away in very, very difficult conditions. Mexico were at home against the Costa Rica team, you know, with guys in their 40s that they're calling. Uh, guys, who have, guys who have retired being called back into no, the Costa Rica team. And, the, and Mexico played terribly. Mexico didn't just have one of those games where they dominate, couldn't score. You, they played Canada, terribly. I'm sorry, Costa Rica could have won that game. Costa Rica easily could have won that game. In fact, Mexico had, what, 25 shots? They only had one on target. The three best chances in that game, I think, all, all belong. To Costa Rica. One Easily. more thing before we get out of here, Herc. Parting shots. The Soccer Hall of Fame has announced its class of 2022, and some of your contemporaries are in it. Uh, from the women's national team, we got Hope Solo, Shannon Box, Linda Hamilton. Uh, from the men's national team, we got Clint Dempsey. 
from Major League Soccer, we got Marco Echeverry. Oh, yes. 12-year-old Sebi is freaking out. Uh, and also, shout Same out to size. referee Essie Bahamas, who uh, is in as well. Herc, uh, sorry to let you know, you did not get in. No. Um, but what do you think of the, uh, the class of 22? I am eligible, by the way. Uh, yes, you are. Did not get in. I, I will say with two names, uh, Hope Solo, it's about damn mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. You had to separate who she was as a person to who she was as an athlete. Whatever your feelings may be of her and who she is as a person has nothing to do with who she was, the most dominant women's national team player that I've ever seen. And Clint Dempsey, in my eyes, mm-hmm. the greatest U.S. men's national team player of all time, so thoroughly deserved. And a uh, former teammate of yours. So congratulations once again to the Soccer Hall of Fame Class of 2022. That does it for this edition of Football Americas. We got a big show, though, coming up for you on Thursday. Richie Larea of Team Canada will be with us, as will Vincent Janssen of Rayados ahead of their appearance in the FIFA Club World Cup. He's Herc. I'm Sebi. Thanks for watching. We'll see you on Thursday.